Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Things you should know about this episode. One, stuttering affects 1% of the world's population. That's more than 70 million people. Two, there are only a few things we know for sure about stuttering and other speech disfluencies. Three, you're going to hear my interview with an eight-year-old who made me cry and who I am committed to voting for in 2048. Four, just because you have a stutter doesn't mean you can't be a wildly successful stand-up comic. Five, you're going to hear some audio from when I had a speech disfluency that paralyzed me in my radio job. Six, you should, in speech and many other things, avoid avoidance. Seven, there are more proud stutterers out there than you may think. Eight, since making this episode, my understanding of stuttering and other speech disfluencies has fundamentally changed, and I think yours might too. I'm Kyone Wolf. That's next on Audacious, right after the news. You're listening to WNPR this morning and W. You're listening to W. You're listening to WNPR this morning and W. You're listening to WNPR this morning and WNPR HD1 Meriden W. You're listening to WNP. You're listening to W. You're listening to WN. You're listening to W. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf, and that was me in 2013. At the time, I was an announcer at Connecticut Public Radio, telling you the time, the weather, and at the top of every hour, a string of our station's call letters. And people had opinions about the way I say W. I'm at a farmer's market. Someone says they love the way I say that letter. No, I... I'm told I need to avoid avoidance. They say they love the way I say W. I'm at a restaurant. Someone says they love the way I say W. One guy even asked if I would send him a recording of me saying W over and over again. I get tweets. I get Facebook messages, emails full of praise about the way I say W. And that, that's a little weird, but that's great, right? I mean, praise rocks. But now and then I get an email or worse, my boss gets an email from someone saying that they have to turn the radio off every time I say that let W and that I'm saying it wrong. Well, that sucks. And that's confusing. I mean, are they hearing something that I'm not? I'm not trying to say it weird. This is public radio. I'm trying to say it right, correctly. And in the grand scheme of things, you know, what's a W, right? It's just, it's just a letter. But I'm a human being and this is my career and this Input noise becomes paralyzing. It became what you heard in that clip. I've become a radio announcer who cannot say W. 
that's how I ended up working with Aaron O'Brien Wilson at UConn Speech and Hearing Clinic in 2013. I recorded those sessions, and I'm going to play a little for you, and I have to admit that this is a little terrifying for me to talk about it and to open myself up to hearing more opinions about the way I say W. So... First, you'll hear me in my studio at WNPR after having seen Aaron for a couple weeks, and then you'll hear us together in her office. I'm really frustrated because (laughs) I got a tweet from someone that said, um, I was just talking with a friend about the odd way Kion Wolf, whom we both love, says the letter W. And I wrote her back and I said, Yep, conflicting feedback about that letter has driven me to speech therapy. I think she thought I was joking. And here I am at work, in the recording booth, crying and talking on a microphone. And I'm disappointed because I was doing really well. Something little like this just really sets me back. Even if it's just today, I have no idea. And now I'm pissed that I'm crying in the studio talking about it. And I have to just try to forget that people still think about this and people still feel like they want to tell me about it. I just kind of feel trapped. I feel kind of like I'm going crazy. There was one bit of feedback that was different than all the others one time. This guy came up to me and immediately started bringing it up and you know what, this is driving me crazy. And I told him mm-hmm. that I was going to go, I'm getting help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, really? It's that bad? Yeah. And um, the next day he emailed me a link to the Middletown I had written about this with me. Okay. And uh, he said that the way that Kion Wolf says this letter, a lot of people think she's saying it wrong. But the thing is that so many people say it wrong, they think she's saying it wrong when really they are. And I'd never heard that before, Yeah. but it just goes to show you, it was like a double-edged sword because that was really validating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At the same time, they've written an article about it in the right. Middletown Eye yeah. with my name. And I think maybe the way we can reframe it is it's not about, is it wrong or is it right? Because yeah, we could, we could go talk to some phonetics people and say, okay, how do you, how do you pronounce W? But doesn't matter. The fact is, like, this is how Kyle Wolf says it. And you need to be comfortable with how you say it. And you, you know, you just need to say there's no right and there's no wrong way. Because as we heard from your other colleagues, everybody says it differently. And telling yourself, is it wrong? Is it right? You know, maybe that's not the direction that you should be going. Maybe the direction you're going is, am I good with that? Am I happy with that? Is it different? Yeah. Hey. That makes people listen to me. And whether you like it or not, who cares? I mean, we all have an opinion about what we like and what we don't like. But it's important if you like it or not. It's tough because you're you're talking about your identity. It's like your work identity. So I'm sort of figuring out what what you want that to be. We are different scales of sensitive people. And so there's a point where you have to turn things off. Say, you know what? I'm going to do what I'm here to do, and I'm going to turn all that other stuff off. Yeah, I'm listening to it, but I'm just going to let it go. 
Yeah, let it pass through instead mm-hmm. of sort of get stuck. Yeah, it's sort of that Tiknakan, like Buddhist thought of sitting in the river, right? Right. Just letting it go. And you're watching yourself, but you're letting it all go. <laughs> you know, I gotta say, when I first started this therapy, I did not think it would go to Thich Nhat Hanh. I just, I just didn't think it would go there. But now it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Eastern thought has some great tidbits that we can take for our own psyche, and especially for people that struggle with disfluency stuff, because so much of it is our own perspective on ourselves. Yeah. It is kind of crazy knowing that that this not crazy, but knowing that I never had this problem until this external feedback. And then wh- how I translate it in my head is what mm-hmm. is so agonizing. And mm-hmm. that's that's the weird thing is that, like, no one's doing this to me. Mm-hmm. It's how I'm processing it and what yeah. I'm doing with it. And, yeah. and part of me is like, well, if I'm doing it to myself, that's both really frustrating and sad. But at the same time, it's really great because if I'm doing it to myself, then I can change what I'm doing to myself. Exactly. exactly. That, that's a great place to start. More than anything, I just wanted to not care. I wanted to turn it off. I wanted to say thank you for those compliments. They make me feel really good. And meh to the people who hated the way I said W. Meh. Speech disfluencies are kind of mysterious. They're defined as breaks or disruptions that occur in the flow of speech. Some, like mine, come as a result of powerful, influential, and conflicting feedback. Some come as a result of an injury. Others are based on genetics, neurophysiology, or child development. Because of my experience, I wanted to understand what it's like to live with a speech disfluency that is more common and that, for some people, never goes away. 1% of the world's population, more than 70 million people, have a stutter. That's according to the National Stuttering Association. It's the most common speech disfluency. About 5% of children go through a period of stuttering. I met up with Alita Engel, a speech and language pathologist in New Haven, Connecticut. She's been doing this work for over 50 years. I asked her to give me some ground rules. When we talk about stuttering, what words are the right words to use? There's language which is understanding what people are saying, it is sentence structure, it's vocabulary, and then there's speech. So stuttering falls under speech. With stuttering, you can have cluttering, and in England they call it stammering. Disfluencies, it's all the same. I have two clients right now who clutter. What does it sound like? Can you do it? Well, I don't know if I can do it for you. It's not that easy to change because they're not aware that they're doing it, where a person who stutters is very aware that they're doing it, and it causes all kinds of issues, emotional issues. My understanding of stuttering is that there's a little that we do know for sure, and there's a lot we don't, Mm -hmm. and that it's different for every person. It is. So Mm -hmm. what do we know for sure about stuttering? That it runs in families. That there's more men than women more boys than girls, that if somebody in your family has had a stutter and they outgrow it, the chances are that you'll outgrow it Mm -hmm. as well. We know that most stuttering starts, two, three, four. 80% of those children outgrow. On their own without help? On their own without help. So what don't we know? That would be sort of a holy grail to understand. The cause. We really don't know 
Some people respond, like I sell this um, speech easy, which is a thing you put behind your ear, where people hear their voice delayed. And with some people, that can help them become more fluent. And with other people, it does nothing. And they both stutter. So why do we stutter? We still have to say, we don't know. Wow. When should a parent, you mentioned that a Good lot question. of kids yes. grow out, 80% of kids mm-hmm. grow out of mm-hmm. this on their own, make it through. When should a parent know, I've got to call Alita? Children need to be seen before they go to kindergarten. So call them if they're three. Most times, if there's not a lot of anxiety around it, I'll wait it out. I'll keep a checklist of what the parents has told me and, and make some suggestions and just wait it out. If there's a lot of anxiety, I bring them Im- immediately. But by the time they're four, for sure, I start doing therapy. Then, since we still can't predict who's going to be a stutterer and who isn't, and that's another thing we don't know, why not come, learn a fun way? Most of it is done by the parent. So it can continue to be done throughout the child's day. Right, and, and I start seeing parents less often because they know how to do it. And they come in every two weeks and every four weeks, but it's once a week for half an hour is what I do, and that seems to work. You were mentioning a technique that you like to use. Tell me about that. The litcomb comes out of Australia, and basically you train the parent to provide reinforcers. So it would be good talking. Oh, I like the way you said that. No bumps. And what you're doing is you're encouraging and supporting greater fluency. And what a lot of parents do is say, oops, fix that. Oh, talk slower. So they're picking on the stuttering. When a child is feeling like what they're saying is wrong, they're going to inhibit themselves and talk less. So it's really, you know, some parents might be listening to me now and and start wanting to use these techniques, and it's very dangerous because the concept is encourage the fluency and once in a while catch the disfluency. But I can't just teach it over the radio, (laughs) saying it one time. There really is. And it doesn't take that long. It's not so complicated. But there are a lot of subtleties, and you need to learn how to provide these contingencies. Or else you could do some damage. You can. How do people know when they're done with you? It's really very individual. If somebody feels good about the way they're talking and they're fine with their stutter and they've learned that they're a stutter and they feel good about themselves as a person who stutter. You help them accept who they are and make them feel better about stuttering and help them talk about it as, you know, it's no big deal. You're different. I'm different, you know, so I have a right to stutter. And when they feel that, you know, at some point I might have to say, like, what do you think? You still need me? <laughs> but usually they, um, they get the idea. You know, we agree. You really got it. Maybe you don't need me anymore. <laughs> So Alita is walking this tightrope. On the one hand, for the youngest among us, she wants to help him get rid of the stutter. On the other hand, for folks who are older, while she has techniques to smooth out speech, the aim is to find acceptance. That's one wiggly tightrope. Alita suggested I meet one of her patients. Coming up, I'll talk to eight-year-old Ari. It's okay to stutter. You don't have to hide it at all. And you'll hear from someone who agrees with Ari, a stand-up comic who embraces a stutter. On stage, you know, there's 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 really no other feeling of like complete control, uh, and, and that's a place where I feel listened to. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. 
This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. We're talking about stuttering and other speech disfluencies today, and for some people, this is really hard stuff to talk about, literally and figuratively. In the last segment, you met speech pathologist Alita Engel. She connected me with one of her clients, eight-year-old Ari Cobb, who's been giving a stuttering a lot of thought. I started out by asking if he has any words he loves saying, no, he says, and what words he hates saying. Mm. Words that make people feel bad. When you get in the car, it's time to see Alita. How do you feel? Mm. Between good and great. How do you feel when you leave every week? I feel like I've learned a lot. And my stuttering just goes away more every time. Whoa, that's powerful. What would you say to another kid who stuttered? I would say it's okay because a lot of people stutter too. And I know a lot of people who stutter even myself. How do your friends react to your stutter? Mm. They don't react at all. They just act like it's not there. Is that what you want? Yes and no. Yes is because sometimes I just don't want them to know because sometimes I feel like they'll make fun of me but I know they won't but I just have that feeling and no is because I just want them to know and and tell them that I do stutter instead of them finding out and just making fun of me. If you could stand in front of the whole world and give them a message about what it's like to have a stutter, what do you want them to know, the whole world? That it's okay to stutter. You don't have to hide it at all. Even if somebody laughs at you, you should still be kind to them and don't react to it. And, And feel like it's nothing. And just be glad that you're still learning. When are you old enough to run for president? (laughs) You're making me cry. (laughs) Maybe around um, 40 and 30. I'm not sure. We'll do some math. We'll figure that. We'll confirm this so we know who to vote for. It's 2048. In 2048, I'll be voting for Ari Cobb. And 
I think I underestimated him. See, while I was doing research for this episode, I came across a lot of testimonials from people who stuttered that were full of pain and despair. So I figured that if you have a stutter, you're miserable and you're stressed out all the time. And yeah, that is part of it to a degree for some people, but by no means is it everything. At least it's not everything always and forever for everybody who stutters or has an atypical way of speaking. Enter comedian Drew Lynch. Drew's stutter began after an injury. Actually, he can explain it best from the stage. When I was 20, I was, I was, I was playing shortstop on a softball team, and, 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 and a grounder got hit my way and actually blunted me in, in, in the throat, from which I'd fallen and hit my head. And that day, I had a minor vocal contusion with a major c- c- concussion. And I went home that day and went to sleep on the concussion, which, 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 which you are not supposed to do. And then I woke up the next day, and so uh, now I have a career. Um, He's not kidding. Dude comes in second place in America's Got Talent season 10. And since then, his career has grown and grown. He's performed all over the world. He sold out venues like crazy and his social media feed is hilarious. But I have to confess, before I heard of Drew, when I'd picture a stand-up comic, I would not picture somebody with a stutter. But that's clearly a lack of my own imagination. So I expanded said imagination by chatting with Drew in between tour dates back in February. I asked him what makes him different. Oh, wow. Um, some people have uh, expressed to me how, uh, you know, how it was an act of bravery or, it, or, or what, what, what courage or guts it takes to maybe go on stage, but I, I, just, I just didn't really see it that way. I, I, I kind of needed it because I think it's easy out in the, in the world and uh, for, you know, many social interactions, it's, it's easy to get stepped on or maybe dis- dis- dismissed. So uh, on stage, you know, there's 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 really no other feeling of like complete control, uh, and, and that's a place where I feel listened to. Some people refer to you as the stuttering comedian Drew Lynch. Do you ever <laughs> you ever wish you could just be refer- referred to as comedian Drew Lynch, or better yet, oh. Drew Lynch? I mean, is, oh, is that label driving you crazy, or is it something else? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, there's, you know, there's, there's both edges of that sword, because in one way, yeah, there's just, there's so much content, there's so many, there's so many comedians, there's so many inspiring acts and performers, and in a way, you know, it's kind of, it, it's kind of branded me, but in another way, you know, I kind of just turn a blind eye to the fact that it, it does, it does, it does kind of put like a label uh, on it, and 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 I certainly don't want anyone to think that I am limiting myself or that I'm limited in what I'm, I'm, I'm in my capabilities because of a, 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 a of the way that I speak. So in one way, it might be a way that you remember me, but in another way, it might be a way that you limit me. So. Uh, you know, always fighting against uh, uh, stereotypes, but I I think the the underdog uh, nature of that is something that really kind of com- com- compels me as well. So, a lot of your fans have a stutter. Most probably don't. But when mm-hmm. when fans come see you at your shows and they try to mm-hmm. meet you afterwards or connect with you somehow, what are they asking? Like, what do they seem to need from you besides an awesome show? <laughs> Uh, it, it, wow, I I I am completely, or was completely unaware of what it was that people needed from from me, and sometimes I feel like I lose sight of 
why I was doing that. Like, I, I know I started to do this in the first place because I just needed it. And then it became a thing where other people needed it from me. There's people who say like, Hey, uh, you know, uh, my son, my son has a stutter and, and, and he's not old enough to be at the show, but I just, I, I had to meet, I had to meet you because, because you're like his hero or some, some, some people, I mean, it's just as appreciated if someone just goes, Hey man, like a stutter or not, you're just, uh, you're just, you're just one of my favorites to, uh, to watch. Uh, that to me is a huge compliment as well, because it, it means that they just see me for, for, for me and not me for, uh, a, 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 a gimmick or, um, uh, a label. Like it's a, it, I, I, I'm uh, man. I feel I'm, I feel so emotional right now because I just I I I am always so I just take for granted sometimes how what, what it is uh, uh what it is that that it means to some people and maybe that's because of, maybe that's a reflection on well I feel I value as my own self worth because I don't. I sometimes just don't, I, I, you know, I don't really see myself as whatever it is that they might need, but, um, that's a true testament to having to keep doing it because you never know what difference you're making, uh, for someone and, and, and at what time they'll, they'll find you and need you. That was comedian Drew Lynch. When we come back, you'll hear more audio from my speech therapy sessions that terrify me to have you here. And I'm frustrated. When I hear, I overcame this stutter, that message says stuttering is wrong. Stuttering is, stuttering is bad. You know, there's nothing wrong with stuttering. Stuttering's okay. Yale PhD candidate and self-described proud stutterer Chris Harshaw on acceptance and finding his own way towards comfortable communication. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today, we're talking about the wide array of speech disfluencies that human beings have. We've met a speech therapist. We've met an eight-year-old future president who's in speech therapy. We've met a stand-up comic who has a stutter. And we've heard some audio from my struggles with disfluencies. Now, meet Chris Harshaw. He's a PhD candidate at Yale who refers to himself as a proud stutterer. My name is Christopher Harshaw, and uh, I've been stuttering since I was porn. Uh, I grew up in Texas and I live in Connecticut now. So when you're experiencing times where you're stuttering, talk me through the mechanisms behind that. So if I'm at a party and I'm meeting someone, they don't know that I stutter. There's no reason they should know this. And so what's the first thing you do is you say your name and almost everyone who stutters gets stuck on their name. So they'll say, hi, my name is this. And I'm thinking in my head, like, just don't stutter on your name. Don't stutter on your name. Like, oh, my name's Chris. It's good to meet you. And then I'm wondering, what are they thinking? What's, you know, and you know you're going to get stuck on the word oftentimes. And you're like bracing yourself to get when that word comes up. I feel that way less a lot now because I'm not wondering what's going to happen when they find out I stutter. Like, or I think a lot of times... Definitely several years ago before going to therapy, uh, speech therapy as an adult, I was thinking like, what are are they thinking? Do they think that I don't know what I'm saying? Do they think that I'm stupid? Am I taking up their time? 
There's all these things you're thinking, and that's what's going on when one is stuttering. One's not forgetting. Uh, usually it's the opposite. You know exactly what you want to say, and you're going to get stuck, and that's a feeling it's difficult to describe, I think, to typically fluent speakers. Are there words, or I find it kind of cruel that the word stutter is a difficult word for even fluent speakers to say. <laughs> it's such a jerk word. Yeah. Uh, but are there words or consonant clusters or other than your name that you always find yourself up against? Yeah. Um, uh, usually Bs or Ps. So if we're in the going, beginning of the word or in the middle of it? Sometimes it matter. in the beginning. I mean, I forget a lot of the very special jargon that's used to describe this, but I think that these like plosives like B and, and, and P. Uh, I was just a few hours ago giving some initials, JGB, and I to, to soften, to not get stuck on the last B, I said it as a P, you know, so P. So the person wrote down P. Is that something that's a result of therapy? Yeah, I think I, there are some techniques that I'm using <laughs> that, you know, soften the blow of the plosives and sometimes that leads them to be what's called unvoiced maybe a little bit off here but um buh, uh, has a has a voice to it buh. P, p, p is the same sound just without the uh the voice huh. so sometimes when you're doing some kind of what's called easy onset like i saw there like the i'm huh. stretching out that b the other day i ran into a there or I saw a tree and I picked a pear, and it's it's easy to Ramp slip into one. It. Yeah. So yeah, I guess there's there's a couple sounds: bees, peas. I can get stuck on t sometimes, especially there are certain phrases. So if we're sitting down and having a conversation, I might be much more comfortable. I don't feel like there's a time pressure. But when we leave each other, and you say "Have a good day," and you start to turn around, and I say "Thanks you too." It's like get the word out. You want to get that word out fast. You're you're leaving. You don't want to have that take long. So that's where I get stuck. Really, is the time pressure. I think. What is the worst thing someone can do or say to you as you're stuttering? I think that most people aren't coming from a malicious place. In my adult life, I've had this happen only two or three times. A real malicious adult says something really malicious. But typically, I think when someone meets me, you know, and I stutter on my name, this happens to everyone who stutters. But I meet someone, I say, hello, my name's Chris. And they go, oh, did you forget your name? Or, oh, why? What's up with that? How'd you? Which in there, I understand they want to be friendly. They're making a fun joke. But I think that they don't know that's how I talk. So my response to that, I think I used to say, oh, it's early in the morning or, oh, I haven't had coffee yet or, oh, I used to just like, what, whatever. But now I just say like, that's how I talk. I have a speech impediment. I have a stutter. That's it. Sometimes it might feel bad as if they just offended me. And yeah, I didn't, it wasn't super nice to hear, but I wasn't terribly offended. And I sure. want to let them know that. So in the future, if someone else, that happens to someone else that they, you know. Have a little more compassion or possibly understand that somebody could have a speech impediment? Yeah. You know, people may have different opinions on this, but I think across the board, most stutterers don't like 
when someone finishes their words for them. Because if they started on the word, we've decided we're saying it. Like if you if you avoided it, if you didn't speak at all, that's one thing. But once you once you want to say the word and you're saying it, I, I'd rather be able to say it. So sometimes if I'm getting stuck on a word and someone finishes it for me, I might just switch and say a different word. <laughs> just to, just to, and then say, no, you're right. That's what I was going to say. Just throw it back. When you're stuttering, how much of it for you is your self-consciousness, your sort of preloaded, I know I'm going to screw up on my name, or I know this consonant cluster or whatever is going to mess me up. And how much of it do you think is like a wiring in your head? For me, it's tremendously how I'm feeling about the person I'm speaking with or how I'm, so if I feel rushed, I'm ordering, you know, food or or drinks or something, there's a big line, I feel very rushed, I'm going to be stuttering a lot. If I'm with friends at a park and we're sitting down and we're relaxed, nothing's going on, there's no rush, I'm very fluent. There is some hard wiring. I am going to stutter sometimes, but that for me is huge. Mm-hmm. And what that means for me is that when I'm speaking, if I can get to a comfortable place in, in my head, if I cannot worry about what people are thinking, if I can, you know, I don't want to say be calmer, that's, it's, not, it's not just being calm, then my, I become very fluent. Then I'm, I'm very fluent in those uh, situations. So it's, there is some amount of unavoidableness, but for me, typically, it's how, how comfortable I am in myself, I think that's really it. I hear a lot about people who stutter don't like talking on the phone. Is that true for you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why? Why is that? Um, well, I should say this. I love talking. <laughs> I love talking on the phone. I get stuck so much on the phone. And here's why I get stuck on the phone. Maybe this isn't for everyone, but this is why I get stuck on the phone. One of the ways that I'm able to like, maintain fluency, not that's the goal, the goal isn't to maintain fluency, but the ways that I'm able to be comfortable with myself and comfortable with my communication, um, as I look at the, li- the listener, the person I'm speaking with, I can read them. That just makes me more comfortable. I see that they're not looking at their watch, or they're not upset, or they're not confused, or they're not all of these things. When you're on the phone, there's no one you're looking at. And sometimes people on the phone are rushed, or you can't hear yourself. Or if I stutter on the phone, like, hey, this is crazy. Chris, they'll say, are you, are you breaking up? Are we going Ugh. through a tunnel? Is there static? <laughs> Which is completely reasonable for totally. them to think. Then I have to start explaining this, and I'm getting stuck in the phone, so now it sounds like I'm still going under a tunnel. <laughs> We're stuck. No, it's I'm fine. This is how I always talk. It's I've only been hung up on the phone like once or twice for this reason. But yeah, it definitely happens. That's just It's tough to read someone on the phone. Now, once, so, yeah, once you're in that moment, once you're comfortable with that person you're speaking with, it's very fine. But uh-huh. that's that's really it. So I've uh, recently, I was doing an interview with a c- company, and we were e- emailing, and they said, you know, we can we do phone calls, phone interviews, we do Skype inter- interviews, and by the way, so it might be one of these. And by the way, if you have a disability, we're, we're there to accommodate whatever that is. And so for the first time, I thought, do I have a disability? Do I tell them I'd like to talk on Skype? Because 
that's what's easier for me. Like, how, uh, it's it's very tough. I guess I guess I have a disability. I don't know. I don't know what that means, but I did ask for the Skype interview, and that was it was great. They were so kind, and they said that's not a problem, and it was so much easier for me. And I'm glad that they offered that, and I'm glad that I accepted that because um, who knows? I could have been stuck for a lot longer of the time. When Chris and I recorded this interview earlier this year, Joe Biden had been in the news talking about his stutter. Here's a clip from a CNN town hall with Anderson Cooper in February. I would practice and practice and practice because I was determined, determined to overcome it. I was led to believe I could, and I basically did. There was a lot more about stuttering in the news back then. Then press secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders tweeted mocking Biden's stutter after a debate. And then she apologized. Captain Sully Sullenberger, the pilot who landed his plane in the Hudson, wrote an op-ed in the New York Times about overcoming his stutter. And at the time, Chris sent me an email saying that he was infuriated and upset with those people mocking stuttering. But... He was more frustrated with Biden's language around stuttering, saying things like he overcame his stutter, as if it's something to be overcome. I asked Chris to tell me more. I'll preface once by saying that everything I'm about to say, I'm removing the politics of how I feel about <laughs> I have strong feelings Noted. about all these people, and I'm putting them aside to say this. I'm going to try to only say that once. Sure. <laughs> so uh, the second disclaimer is that like, I don't know Joe Biden. This is how I feel. I've seen videos of Joe Biden speaking to different stuttering communities. And I've read some of the tweets that came out when that big back and forth happened. And so much of Joe Biden's language and from the New York Times piece that you sent me, his, his language as well has been focused on overcoming I used to stutter and I overcame it. I'm a big, strong man. I overcame it. I used to stutter when I was a kid. And there are so many kids that stutter now. And think about the kids when you're making fun or like, how is it going to affect these kids? These, these kids can overcome it and they will. I don't know. I just, I personally know so many adults now that I've interfaced and interacted with the stuttering com- community. I know so many adults who stutter. Stuttering is not a thing that just kids do. Stuttering isn't a thing to overcome. You you can't. You I mean, the science shows you can't get rid of your stutter past early ad- adolescence. I am I'm frustrated when I hear I overcame this stutter. I'm frustrated by that because I wonder how many adults there are who hear that message, who are much like I used to be and a lot of people who stutter are, like if they're frustrated with their stutter and they're angry at why why can't they be communicating the way typically fluent people you know do and they hear that message that message says stuttering is wrong stuttering is stuttering is bad i used to stutter you know there's nothing wrong with stuttering stuttering's okay ironically that makes you more fluent once you think that um that is ironic yeah it's just a really frustrating thing to hear i think it's very unfair to characterize it like that he has such a huge stage he's literally on stage all the time now i mean even in the vice presidency he was on stage a lot i'm sure i wish he could be accepting of his stutter 
in a in a public way. And I wish we were all ready for that. And I don't know that we are. Yeah, it's almost it's almost like I said two different things. I think people don't care when I stutter. I'm not sure if they wouldn't care if the president of the United States stutters. I don't know. So I I get why he might be not wanting to say it, but like, I think it means so much for so many people who stutter. If people were accepting of their stutters. You also said in your email, you said stuttering is okay. It's something that should be accepted, embraced even, rather than cured. The goal is not precise fluency, but comfortable communication. Tell me more about comfortable communication. How do you define that? How does that feel? How do you know when you've gotten there? Uh, I'll tell you what's not comfortable. What's not comfortable is meeting someone and worried that they'll find out that you stutter or worried that your stuttering is going to stop these people who are ordering behind you in line or worried that that someone doesn't hang up on the phone because they think you're going under a tunnel or stuff like this. This is what's not comfortable. I was living that way for a long time. I, I guess that's very it's, – it's, it's, it's uncomfortable to have to structure your communications around your stutter. That's frustrating. It, it, it certainly has a negative impact on how you view yourself. I think that uh, instead it's important to embrace one's stutter and to uh, – I'm not, I'm not not stuttering now. I'm just trying to think of a word. <laughs> I guess it's, it's like – it's so much better to not have to worry about those things. You live a better life. You're not trying to hide all the time. Um, and that's true in so many ways. And we all have things about ourselves that we try to hide. Um, when yours is manifested in your speech, you have to confront it. You don't have to, but it's it's better to be accepting. And comfortable communication is not worrying about how you're speaking and how others are perceiving you. So the sound of comfortable communication could sound exactly like you a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, but the difference is that you are at ease to the degree to which you can be because you're a human being, so there's always some tension, but you're at ease as much as you can be. Yeah. It would be fine for me to be stuttering on every other word if I felt if I felt fine, if I felt comfortable. I think typically it's not going to happen when I feel comfortable. I'm going to be very fluent as I am now, but... Yeah, I, 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 I think the goal isn't to speak cleanly and crisply in the Crete, in the street. I think I screwed that one up. <laughs> but that's not the goal. We're so much happier when we don't view that as the goal. So if you think that overcoming and hiding your stutter is success and you must keep hiding it, that's a terrible burden to be bearing. And I don't want that for anyone else. I don't want that for myself. All right, the next questions, the final questions in my Google Doc, I've entitled Big Ass Questions. Perfect. If you could turn it off, would you? This is tricky because if a young child came up to me and they were three or four, maybe the parents of a young child came up to me, they're, they're three or four, and they're stuttering. I would say go to speech therapy. Get rid of that. <laughs> like, do, you don't have to have that. Nip it in the bud. Yeah, nip it in the bud. You can, I don't know, it's just easier. And you can do it. Why, why not do it? It's the way I am now. It's made me who I am. Now I appreciate that. And now I embrace that. I have friends who stutter. We've, we've met. You know, we talk. I think most of us think that we wouldn't give it up. 
I think people who have accepted their stutter wouldn't give it up. Three years ago, I would have been like, turn it off. I hit the button a thousand times. I I hate this. I do anything to get rid of this. But now that I'm in an accepting place, no. Why turn it off? I'm I feel comfortable in so many more places now. I don't need to turn it off. If you could go back to yourself at your most agonized point mm-hmm. and send a message, what would it be? Just that it's okay. It's okay to, st- to tutter, um, tearing up a bit. Um, that it's o- okay. People don't perceive you as you're not taking up anyone's time. You deserve that time. That time that you think you're taking away from others by stuttering, you're making people wait longer in line, you're making people wait as they are trying to co. This time you're making them wait, you deserve that time. I'm daring. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I would tell myself. To me, Chris embodies this goal, this life of balance. Aaron, Alita, Ari, Drew, and Chris, all the people you've heard this hour, they're all saying the same thing. At a certain point, people are going to talk the way they're going to talk. And that's okay. I wanted to play you one more clip from my work with Aaron O'Brien Wilson from UConn's Speech and Hearing Clinic back in 2013 when I was struggling with the right way to say W. Here's me trying to get to that point of balance and acceptance. You'll hear me first in our office and then me in my studio at Connecticut Public. I think it is, you know, this, this psychosocial thing that you're creating physically, you're saying it beautifully. You know, your muscles are doing what your brain is asking your muscles to do. It's just you're stuck. You're in that block and you can't get over that hump of what comes next. And you're constantly reframing and saying, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. That's it. I got to go back. Oh, I got to do it again. I got to do it again. That act of doing that, you got to stop doing that to yourself. And I, and I don't think you should get yourself in this box of this is how I say it or this is how listeners want me to say it. This isn't what your job is about. You know, this shouldn't rule you like it does. You know, your job is about being a good producer and having good stories to tell. But it's not about struggling on the taglines because they're not good enough for you. Because I think they're good enough for the listeners. And if they don't like it, that's their problem. (laughs) I think that's the ultimate struggle is that. I want to say that I want to be able to just say it correctly and mm-hmm. fluently and articulately mm-hmm. each time. Mm-hmm. I don't want to stick out and I don't mm-hmm. want to, one way or the other, right mm-hmm. or wrong, but it's for some reason it's, um, if I could flip that switch, I would. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're doing all, yep. all this. Yep. I feel like the, the ultimate goal is to not care, but I do care. I feel like caring helps me get better. I care about the quality of my voice and how it reflects the radio station. And it's important that the radio station sounds good. (laughs) Part of the advice was to kind of come out and say that I'm working on this. Sometimes I wonder if... (laughs) People were thinking I was overreacting. 
I can just picture some people rolling their eyes. I just did it to myself. I did do it to myself. But I'm trying to stop. It's a stupid letter. It's just a stupid letter. I still have anxieties around saying the letter W. I mean, there isn't one time I say W that I'm not thinking about it, but like a lot of people who do make progress with their speech disfluency, now that I've gotten help and learned a lot about speech, I feel gentler on myself. I certainly don't cry anymore about it. Like Chris talked about, I'm finding my own way to be more comfortable in my communication. I did get somewhat off the hook, though, not too long after my sessions with Aaron, the station WNPR decided to overhaul the way you hear those call letters at the top of the hour, which can include as many as 10 W's per batch. We recorded a bunch of people on the street saying them and made them into a montage. And I got to tell you, (laughs) when I hear that montage, it feels so amazing. Everybody says W differently. And even better, nobody seems to be agonizing over the way they say it. It's so beautiful. This is Connecticut Public Radio. WMPR and WMPR HD1 Meriden at 90.5. WPKT and WPKT. Listen to them. So carefree and varied. WEDW FM Stanford at 88.5. WR. No one's worried about the way they say W. WECS Wilmansic at 90.1. W258 AC Stores at 99.5. And WNPR.org. Audacious is produced by me and Katie Talarski at WNPR, Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. And you can subscribe to our show at ctpublic.org slash audacious. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kion Wolf. And if speech disfluencies are a part of your life, I really want to hear your thoughts. My email is cwolf at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening.